Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Just say a quick and deep thanks to Pastor Chris Eads for filling in for me last week. Amy and I got away to a secluded and safe but top secret location. We're not telling y'all where it was. Most of you have probably felt the need to get away from as much as you can from the things that have surrounded us over the last several months. And Chris told you 2021 might not be any better. Turns out he's more of a prophet than I am. But in the middle of that, and we were actually watching from our home here in Shepherdstown. We just back, come back from South Carolina, which is also a, a bit of a hot spot. We were as careful as we needed to be, but we felt like there was no really visible part of the worship that I needed to partake in. And so just in the middle of everything we're dealing with right now with the virus, we stayed home and we joined those of you who are watching uh, from home. And so I was sitting on the couch with my wife when Pastor Chris was sharing all these really hard truths. And in the middle of that, he said, maybe Joel will have better news for you next week. And my wife just sort of reflexively looked at the television and went, no, he won't. Well, in fact, I do. In fact, I do. I know you're tired. I know you're angry, some of you. I know you're, I know you're fearful. I know there's a lot of uncertainty. I know a lot of you have said, like me, I'm done. I, I wish that fixed it. That'd be great. And I know some of you have probably resigned yourself to the fact that this will never be over, whatever this happens to be. It's occupying your time at the moment. Or that it won't ever get any better. You ever felt that way? Not just in the present moment, but maybe in moments in your past. It's just never going to get better. Here's the thing. When you get to that point, even... Even brief moments of happiness will bring a huge dose of disappointment right behind them. Because when crisis affects your life, you want it to be over because you're normal. And until it's over, you cope. And usually the way you cope is by reminiscing about the way things were, which does what? Drives you into deeper despair because you don't have that anymore. It's one of the greatest catch-22s of any therapy. Looking back on what you used to have most of the time just drives you to greater depression. Here's the good news. We're prone to look back, but in the middle of every crisis, God calls us in precisely the opposite direction. He says, there's a future for you. Not only have I brought you to this place, am I with you in this place, I will deliver you from this place. I will deliver you from this. We're not the first of God's people to be challenged with believing that. Back around 950 BC, the city of Jerusalem saw the most magnificent expression of its golden age finally erected. Solomon finally completed this temple. That building was supposed to stand as a a testimony not only to the glory of Israel, but of the might and majesty of Israel's God. Dignitaries from all over the world came to visit 
The queen of Sheba came seeking Solomon's counsel and bringing him treasure. The gift of gold she brought, by the way, was staggering. It was about four tons. I I can imagine that was a great day. But like so many great days, what looked like long-term national greatness eventually turned out to be no more than a temporary historical blip brought on primarily by the lack of character in Solomon himself. Eventually, that character exponentially and very quickly spread like a cancer, eventually resulting in a kingdom that was split into two rival factions led, ironically enough, by members of his own family after his death. From that moment, idolatry, immorality, greed, selfishness, all of those became the norm in Israel until finally God sent their enemies, the Babylonians, to come and torch the temple and to exile them back to their own homeland for use as slaves to build the kingdom of Babylon. And for the next 70 years, they would live like that as slaves. And in exile, God's people, again, especially in those early days, they kept looking back. They kept listening to false prophets like Hananiah saying, two years and it's done. Don't don't buy rent. It's going to be okay. You're coming back. And the only thing that did was create a false sense of reality around them and give them a plan that would not work. They became more hopeless because they kept looking back. The truth of that principle still hasn't changed. The more you look back on what you used to have and the more you lament it, the more despaired you're going to be. You have to accept, we have to accept the same three unshakable truths that God was bringing the Israelites to accept. God brought you here Even through the emergence of the synagogue on the banks of the Euphrates River, they learned even without the temple, God is with you here. And your hope is not in reviving the past, but moving into the future that God had prepared for them, brought by a Messiah that would soon come. That's a lesson that took Israel generations to learn. I'm hoping maybe we can learn more quickly than that with all of the history that we now have to stand upon that they really didn't. Today's that final message of this three-part series that we started a year ago. How about that? No fear. God has brought us here. Let that sink in. God is with us here. God will deliver us from here. He's going to do it. 2021 won't do it. We've pretty much figured that out already, haven't we? Yeah? The Gregorian calendar flipping changes, as it turns out, absolutely nothing. And maybe Chris is right from last week. Maybe it won't be better. Maybe it'll be worse. The calendar is not going to save us. I think we've learned this week as well. Human leaders are not going to save us. Processes are not going to save us. It's that same sovereign God who brought us here and who is with us in this moment, that will deliver us from this moment. That's the truth of the Bible, just as sure as I'm standing here. Now, here's the million-dollar question. When's it going to happen? I don't know. How's that for a useless answer? I, I don't know. And anybody other than God himself who claims to be able to answer that question, they're just trying to sell you something. That, by the way, included a lot of prophets on television, I put put scare quotes around that word, that predicted a lot of things this year that have not happened. Deuteronomy 18, by the way, is pretty clear about what you ought to do with those jokers. 
turn them off, stop buying their books, stop reading their crap, stop retweeting and reposting that stuff. Prophets who predict things that do not come true are false prophets. And they can't save you either. Here's what I do know. However long this takes, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. And so I want you to join me in Revelation 21 because we're going to find hope in that ultimate future. We're going to bask in the glory of everything we see here and everything that God has promised. And we're also going to learn how to get there. Whatever you're going through right now, if you belong to Jesus, if you are following Jesus, if his grace is persevering you to the end, I pray you take great hope today because what's described in this passage it's your future and it's mine. And it has four defining characteristics, beginning with this one. It is a new future. John, writing from this vision, says the following, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Fast forward with me briefly to verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. New Jerusalem is coming. The old one, the former one, is passing away. Those two statements, verses 1 and 2 and verse 4, they're kind of the brackets. They're, they're actually bigger than the body, really, that we're looking at. But think of them as statements that bracket this entire section that tells us the old is passing away and the new is coming. And that, by the way, is a theme that metaphorically and literally is described repeatedly in Scripture to, to talk about a number of things. The human body, the created order, our spiritual lives and what happens to us in the sanctification process. And, and this is where, I mean, we see this old wineskins become new wineskins. An old body becomes a resurrected body, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. What's true of our bodies, John is reminding us here, is also true of the entire cosmos. Everything changes. Everything old is going to pass. The new is coming. And this, this is important, guys, because this is where this truth connects closely with any kind of crisis or trouble or situation. And I want us to look at this from both angles so that the message is clear. Let's start with our bodies. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. This is what makes graveside services so profoundly meaningful. What is raised is imperishable. What is, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And by that, he doesn't mean that there's no flesh on this body. And to, to understand why that's true, we need only read the New Testament description of the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus. He didn't just appear resurrected. He physically, bodily rose from the dead. That matters. And that matters for your future and for mine for the reasons that Paul describes here. He ate. People touched him. He also somehow was able to pass through doors and appear and reappear. And in verse 36, Paul compares this to a seed sown into the ground. That seed's got to go into the ground. It's got to die. And then something new has to come from that. And again, what's true of the body is also true of creation. Look at what Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Seed has to go into the ground and die before new life comes. Old Jerusalem had to be dispensed with so that this new one can one day come. These bodies have to pass and be placed under the ground and new life comes. Creation must pass away. It's a word picture of something slowly but surely decaying. So you get older and you need glasses and you have to take some pills and knee surgeries and all of those kind of things. You slowly but surely, you're dying. Happy New Year. Right? That's, that's, what, that's what this is. That's what this is. Here's the big idea. For the new to come, the old has to go. It's got to go. You can't just add this promise. If the promise of what God is delivering you to is going to come to you, it can't be added to what you already have. It has to replace everything you already have. Now, why is that necessary? Well, we find that answer in this, this cryptic statement. And the sea was no more. First time I read that as a kid, I thought, but Lord, I love to fish. I love to swim. I love, like, what? No water? Really? What's he talking about here? Well, in many places in the Bible, including here, the writers will use the metaphor of the sea or waters as origins of chaos. It's a metaphor. Talking about the origin of chaos or evil. Uh, we'll give you some examples here. It begins all the way back in Genesis. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Revelation 13, 1, Then I saw a beast rising, out of the sea, ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Daniel chapter 7 verse 3, and four great beasts came up out of the sea. Different. You starting to get to see the pattern here? Whether it's literal like it is in Genesis or metaphorical, there, there's, a, there's a symbolism there about evil. One of the great mysteries of our faith, in fact, is the origin of evil. If, in fact, God is entirely good, if he does not sin, nor does he tempt others to sin, if he has no impurity in him, and if everything by, uh, by, by result that he created was good, including Satan before his fall, Satan was good, then that first little sliver of selfishness and narcissism and rebellion that eventually led to that great thud in Eden, that first glimpse of evil in Satan's mind, where did that come from? Nobody knows. Theologians have debated and spilled gallons of ink debating all of this. There's no ultimate answer. We just don't know. And, and really, even the, the Bible's authors speak of it cryptically. They talk about this origin, whatever it is, being the sea. You ready for the good news? This new world God will eventually bring to us will have no more sea. In the future is coming a world that is not only devoid of all evil and sin, but erased of any possibility or entry point. You 
me will never experience again what our first parents experienced. We will never be violated by evil again. That's why the former things must pass away. See, let me, let me put this in real personal terms. When crisis hits your life, what's the first thing you grab? That's got to go to. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I'm not saying it's not great that you don't have it in this life. I'm just saying eventually it's got to go. My spouse, yeah, yeah. This is why marriage isn't eternal. It terminates upon death because it was never supposed to be the ultimate thing. There, you don't, you're not going to be married in heaven. Jesus made that abundantly clear. That's simply the shadow that points to the greater reality. You want to get that, you got to give this one up. And you have to live this life believing my wife, my husband, whom I love, as Jesus commands me to love. I do not love ultimately. My children, yes, your children, because they're not yours anyway. My children are not my children. They belong to the Lord. I preached a whole message series about this a couple years ago. They are the Lord's. And it's my responsibility to send them out as arrows in the world. If you want courage in crisis, you have to be willing to see everything eventually pass away knowing that something infinitely better is coming. That's a new future. And here's what makes it better. It's also a personal future. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This I think is maybe the biggest thing we miss sometimes about the end of the age. The greatest thing about it is not the new bodies, although the aches and pains that I feel as I get out of bed every morning, I, you know, I, I am looking forward to not having to deal with that anymore. That's going to be great. The greatest thing about heaven is not being reunited with loved ones. The greatest thing about that future that's coming is the perfect, unimpeded, eternal presence of God with us. I just celebrated my first Christmas without my mother in the middle of a pandemic. That was interesting, to say the least. In some ways, it was healthy for us because there were things that just trying to be careful around my father that we just couldn't do. We chose not to do. Time was limited, more so than it, than it normally is. And that, that kind of forced us to change some routines and traditions. And honestly, we all kind of agreed as a family that that was pretty healthy, actually. Maybe it what, wouldn't be all that healthy to do all those same things again and just remember that there's this huge hole where she used to be. But as a kid, I remember every Christmas with Mom. You know what I look forward to the most? The presents. Yeah, I look forward to the presents. Getting up on Christmas morning, open up that gift wrap. Then I got older, and especially after we moved away out of the area, I eventually got to the point that gifts weren't just secondary. They just kind of became irrelevant. Like, why don't we just hang out? We don't get to see each other as much as we used to. It's okay if we don't exchange gifts. Let's just spend time together. God, through the Scriptures, is perceived by His people as dwelling in various kinds of structures, when, when the whole time he was actually with his people wherever they went. And, and that presence in the end 
is finally going to be experienced in all of its glory. What was tried in Eden and failed because of Adam's sin, what was visualized in the tabernacle, in the temple, what we try and so often fail at to emulate in the church will finally materialize in a whole new cosmos. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever's happening internally, God is with you. And when that future arrives, you will see just how present he really was. And you will relish in that presence forever. This is a new future, a personal future. Here's the part I like. It is a painless future. Amen? A painless future. He will wipe away, verse 4 says, every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. See, we, we cry and we have sorrow in this world because we have pain. Physical, emotional, mental. There's sorrow, there's conflict, there's sickness, there's death. The whole reason those things exist is because sin has infected the world. That doesn't mean that if you get a disease or, God forbid, if you lose a loved one or something else happens, that that's directly correlated to something you did as though God's punishing you for that. That's not what that means at all. It does mean that when we experience pain, it is a reminder to us that the world we live in is broken. This is not heaven, this is earth. And it is broken because of our collective sin. We're, we're the ones that broke it. This is why it's so important when we repent to internalize that. It's so important to embody what Jesus talked about when he said, you get the plank out of your own eye before you go looking at the speck in your brother's eye. It, it's not just about keeping you from being judgmental and nasty and then eventually nobody wants to hang out with you. Okay? It's not just about that. It's for the purity of your own soul to understand that I'm culpable. I'm culpable. Because there wouldn't be any tears if it weren't for death, and there wouldn't be any death if it weren't for sin. No more sea also means no more tears. When God removes the sin from our lives and from the world, and then he removes the source from whence all of it came so that it never invades again, all of the effects of sin are then eliminated. And it may have stung a little earlier when I told you that all the old has to pass for you to get the new. I get that. Because I have things I cling to as well. John tells us here, it's going to be worth the loss. It's going to be worth it. Because everything we experience in that new world will be painless. Whose death are you mourning right now? What's, what's happening there? Been a lot of death just in the last couple of months, hasn't there? Who are you mourning right now? What circumstance brings you the greatest sorrow at this moment? What kind of physical pain or even emotional, psychological pain are you made to endure? God brought you here. God is with you here. God will deliver you from here a painless future is coming and here's perhaps the greatest news of all it is a certain future i i don't know what the future is of this republic i really don't i really don't i know what god's people are called to do in the middle of it and that's what we're going to do that's what we're going to do but i don't I, I don't know what the future of this earthly kingdom is nothing is certain except the following. Look at verse 5. 
He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. It's done, in other words. Jesus said, just as sure as it has already happened, and you can believe these words, and you can believe this world is coming because you can believe him. You know, a message is only as truthful as the one who sends it, isn't it? We live in a world full of fake news and confirmation bias and alternative facts and personal truth and all of that overshadowed by about the last 100 years of, of intellectually the, the Western world just completely coming apart. The philosophy that's known probably most popularly is postmodernism, this crazy idea that truth isn't something that's fixed, it's not discovered, it's created, that there's nothing objective and everything you hear should be held in suspicion because it's coming from someone else who wants to control you. That nonsense controlled the political left in this country for 40 years and now Wednesday was chief proof of the fact that it has completely also consumed the political right. And in the middle of all that, I imagine I'm probably looking at some people or some people on the other side of that camera looking back at me who sometimes just don't know what to believe. Am I right? I, I, you get it? Like, I, I don't even know what to, what to believe anymore. I don't have a, I, I wish I had a comprehensive answer for you on that. I don't. I really don't. Except, except. YouTube and Facebook are not reliable sources, okay? All right, shut up, Randy. Keep going. Here's a message you can trust. You know why? Because it comes from one who calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the A and the Z. This is the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end. See, as it turns out, truth is created. God created it. God created it. I am the Alpha. Everything that is originated with me. I am the Omega. Everything I created is coming back to me. Brothers and sisters, based on the mere identity of our unchanging God, no crisis should be able to shake you because even if you lose everything, you gain everything. And you can know that that moment is coming. This may be the most, un, the, the most important, unshakable truth that we've covered in this series, guys. And for this reason, as long as this planet spins, there's going to be crisis. I pray to God that what started on, when, on Wednesday is, is put to bed very, very quickly. I pray to God for unity for understanding, for a commitment to, com to a common truth. I, I pray to God for, for the end of this pandemic, and I think we're starting to see the end of it. We don't get distracted by going to war over with each other over who lost their freaking Twitter account. We're actually going to come out of something that matters, something serious. But once it's over, there'll be another one because you live on earth. Hopefully it won't be as big as what we've experienced in the last year, but it's coming. You, I, I said it last time I preached. You, 
you're in the, either in the middle of something right now or you're just coming out of it or you're just about to go through it, maybe you don't need this today, although I suspect most of us probably do, but you will most assuredly need it tomorrow. Because even after all this is over, even if we do get our normal back, that's possible, but, but if it, even if it all comes back, everything's exactly the way it was in January of 2020, we are still going to live in a world full of people who are dying of cancer and AIDS, full of genocide and dictators, full of rape and murder and abortion and immorality and greed and sin of every sort and kind that happens every single day. That's the world we got. That's the world we help create by our sins. That's the world Jesus has promised to deliver us from. But you got to let the whole thing go. You got to let it all go. The greatest hope we have to offer is the same hope that removes all of our fear. Brothers and sisters, there is a whole new world coming. And there's one way to get there. One way. See, the, those scriptures that tell us about this future are also very honest with us about our past. They tell us that we, though created in the image and likeness of God for great purpose, have willfully, from the moment we were volitionally able, shaken our fists in the face of a holy God, trampled his laws under our feet. We are sinners, we are rebels. And the penalty for that, according to Scripture, the unwavering, non-negotiable penalty is death. And by death, he doesn't just mean perishing from this life. He's talking about eternal separation from God. Here's the great news. God, because of his love for you, for me, for the world, for anybody listening to me right now, for anybody who may listen to me later, sent his son, his perfect son, the one that Paul in, in Romans refers to as that second Adam who came. And who did what the first Adam could not. He completely obeyed. He completely fulfilled. He completely, completely did what he should have done. And then he offered himself as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I just described that for you. Painless, certain, personal that's the life that's it all new you want it come and get it it won't be easy it won't be easy following jesus never is it's going to be easy to get distracted i've actually got a a series of messages coming starting in february called misdirection there were seven churches in revelation who were all tempted by misdirection getting into this, getting into that, getting into that, and forgetting who they were, forgetting who God had called them to be, and Jesus is calling them to repent and to not, be, to, not, to not settle for that misdirection. The church in the West, in the United States, has been woefully distracted by devotion to temporary kingdoms that are going to kill us if we don't repent. So no, it's not easy to follow Jesus. Not easy. Because sometimes... Following Jesus means you're politically homeless. We are fast getting to that point. You willing to do that? Because I'm going to tell you this, based on everything we've studied, it's worth the wait. It's worth it. Whatever price you have to pay, pay it. 
pay it. However far you have to go, take that journey. Follow the Lord Jesus. Come to him. There is a future waiting beyond your wildest dreams. Heavenly Father, in the middle of all that is transpiring around us, Lord, may we leave here today with hope. Lord, may that hope not be a fable. It has to be grounded in truth, some of it hard. But Father, you love us. And so you not only tell us the truth about ourselves, you call us to yourself. You call us back. Lord, may 2021 be a year when the people of God at Covenant give you great honor and glory. When we, Father, are willing to lay down everything in this old world because we know a new one is coming. And Father, that doesn't mean we ignore this one. We continue to give people glimpses of that coming world. That's our job for as long as we're here. So, Father, may that light shine bright. Father, may we recommit ourselves today to be a people who will not adulterate and bastardize your name with violence and political rhetoric. May we instead rise and be people of the truth and people of love and people of compassion and people who unite under the lordship of Jesus. Lord, may you be mightily glorified as a result. Father, may your people feel the love of their pastor today. May they, may they moreover feel the love of Jesus. The kindness of the Lord. Father, bring us all to repent and to do what we must in the days ahead. I make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.